Psalm 23. And last week we looked and we give little snippets of the full six verses of God within this and what Christ is, the Lord Jesus is in this. So we're, um, we're looking at Psalm 23 and the title we had given it was Revealing Jesus in Psalm 23. Last week we looked at the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And we looked at that as relationship. Relationship. I'll just go through them quickly again. The Lord is my shepherd. Relationship. I shall not want is supply. He maketh me lie down in green pastures is rest. He leadeth me beside still waters, refreshment. He restoreth my soul, that's healing. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness, that's guidance. For his name's sake, that's purpose. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that is testing, I will fear no evil, that's protection. Assurance. For thou art with me, faithfulness. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me, discipline. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies, that's hope. Thou anointest my head with oil, that's consecration. My cup runneth over, that's abundance. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. That's security. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is eternity. So we looked at the Lord is my shepherd. And we looked at Psalm 80 where he's the shepherd of Israel. It needeth Joseph like the flock. I want to just put a little amendment in there. Joseph is not only speaking of the northern kingdom, I'd said by now, it came out of Egypt by now, as Israel coming out of Egypt, but by now they'd come out of Egypt. That is the psalm. This would be prophetic for the northern kingdom as well, being called Joseph and carried away into Assyria. <clears throat> okay, so the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 80 is the shepherd of Israel. Hebrews 13 and 20, he's the great shepherd of the sheep. In 1 Peter 2 and 25, he's called the shepherd and bishop of our souls. In 1 Peter 5 and 4, he is the chief shepherd. And in John 10 and verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd. And here David says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, notice something here about the way this is written. It's the spirit of prophecy here is on David. David's a shepherd, but now he's a sheep. Now, notice that. David is a shepherd, but now he's a sheep. He's always a sheep in that sense, but now he is the sheep, and the Lord is the shepherd. And so it's relationship we've got. Now, we're not going to keep going a week, a week, a week. We're just going to race through some and we'll see how we get on. Maybe need a third week, but we'll see how we get on tonight with this. So we look at the Lord as my shepherd. That's relationship. I shall not want that as supply. Now there's a, the name for the Lord my shepherd um, in the Hebrew, if you want, the name of it is Jehovah Rophi or Rohi, Okay. 
and means the Lord my shepherd. So here we see one of the names of God, Jehovah or Yahweh. We'll stick with the Jehovah as we said last week. Is the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And so when we look at this, it's supply. Jehovah Jireh. I shall not want. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22, we have this well-known story of Abraham taking Isaac to sacrifice him at the commandment of the Lord. Genesis 22, and we'll just skip through this. Mark it down. Read the whole chapter when you go home. And verse 1 says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he says, Behold, here I am. And he says, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto, Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass. And I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. For a burnt offering, so they went, both of them, together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham, and he says, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, Neither do there anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. So Abraham is told, go and offer Isaac for a burnt offering. And I've mentioned this before, but remember, this isn't, this isn't just uh, putting in the knife and killing Isaac. He's a burnt offering. He's going to kill him. He's going to drain his blood. And then he's going to burn him to cinders. Now, can you imagine three days' journey knowing you're going to do this to your, own, your child who you love? That's some ask, isn't it? That is some ask. And so he goes three days, he has this on him, the pressure, the stress of it probably, I don't know. But he has it for three days, and away in the distance he sees Mount Moriah where God had placed, where God had ordained, pardon me. And so as he's getting there, he says, I must do this myself with my son. And there's a personal aspect here to what God asks us to do. 
to go where he tells us to go and only where he tells us to go, to be in the place when he tells us to be in that place and only when he tells us to be there. And then to be ready to sacrifice, to give our own heart if we have to. And the wonderful thing is it's, it's we're, we're moving, walking in faith and sometimes with the outlook of it, it's very difficult, it's hard, it's even um, maybe frightening. But knowing that God is with you and has said to go, then you can do it. Here we have Isaac. And notice, Abraham's an old man now. Abraham's 100 plus. Isaac, it's reckoned probably around in his 30s by now. He's not a wee stripling of a boy. You think of a wee boy. Isaac's maybe 30 or more years of age. So Isaac could have really have said, I am not going to get on that wood. <laughs> Can you imagine that, getting up and he builds the altar and he, he says, I know the Lord's going to provide the lamb, Father, but still don't see it. And he says, son, you're right, get on it. Isaac had an amount of faith. We talk about the faith of Abraham. Um, there's a lot in the scriptures about the faith of Jacob. And Isaac sometimes seems to be overlooked a little, skipped over. But Isaac at some place had to say, okay, if God has told you, that I am the lioness and you're to slay me, drain my blood and you are to uh, burn me to a crisp, then that's okay because the Lord had given Abraham the promise, I have made thee a father of many nations. Hadn't happened yet. But in God's mind, it already had, so it had to happen. Even if he burnt him to a crisp, it wouldn't stop the will, the plan, the purpose of God. In other words, Abraham knew, and look, it takes faith to dig deep. And so by now then must Isaac, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, as the Lord says. Now, if he kills Isaac, burns him, what about the seed? What about the promise of God? And sometimes we find that in that, what about this and what about that? But your word, Lord, you've told me, and it doesn't look like it's happening. It doesn't look like it's coming to pass. It doesn't look like you know, anything is going to take place here. But the Lord says, you've just to do as I've told you. And as I've told you, I'll bring it to pass. Leave it with me. So Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. And believing God, laying down, listen to what he says a couple of times later, thy son, thine only son, Isaac. Now, that, there's something there isn't true. What about Ishmael? Ishmael's Isaac's older brother. But here's the difference, you see. The Lord was looking at the promised seed line. Ishmael was with, of Hagar, the Egyptian. God was looking at the promised seed line, so he only classed him as his only son. The one God had his eye on, of course, through Sarah. So he says, thy son, thine only son, Isaac, listen, whom thou lovest, I know you love him dearly. Are you willing to give him to me? And sometimes the Lord lays things on us. I know you like that, love that. doesn't matter what it is. You can put it to whatever Lord uh, speaks to you about. And he says, are you willing to lay that down for me? Are you willing to lay that into my hands? Are you willing to give it to me and trust me for it? So Abraham does it, goes up the mountain. Can you imagine? Here's Isaac with the wood on his back. The old man beside him. And he says, Father, what's, where's the lamb? Here's the wood. It says, God will provide. Look at it. Genesis 22. 
Verse 7, Isaac spake unto Abraham and his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now notice this is very important. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Abraham didn't say, God is going to provide a lamb for himself. That's not what he said here. Abraham says, God will provide himself. Do you notice that? In other words, God himself will be the lamb. Now, this is a type of Christ here. This is a type of substitution and substitutionary uh, sacrifice and death. That in the place of Isaac now, Isaac is at one point the only son, uh, the son whom uh, the father loves. You see him as a type of Christ. Now you see the substitutionary death as a type of Christ. Notice what it says. As Abraham stretches forth, the angel of the Lord calls out, tells him not to lay a hand on Isaac. Notice what he says in verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Notice a ram is the female father. Or sorry, the, the female father. The ram is not the female, but the father. The daddy sheep. He's caught by his horns in the thicket. And of course that is then substituted. And so he's called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh. And it means the Lord will provide. The Lord shall see to it. So now you see the substitutionary offering. So when we go to Psalm 23, now let's put this in our minds here. Let's get this in our hearts. When David's writing this, he's just not writing it by some sort of, uh, you know, some sort of thoughts. He's sitting under a tree one day and he gets some nice thoughts and thinks he want to sing or write a, a nice song, a, a moving instrumental or with it. You know, this is the Spirit of God moving on him. So the Spirit of God, who is God here in Genesis 22, is the Spirit of God who's moving on David, causing him to write. And all of these are pictured through right through this. So when we go to go back to Psalm twenty-three, please. The Lord is my shepherd, is Jehovah Rohi. I shall not want Jehovah Jireh. And of course, that is your supply. So now we look at it when we're reading this psalm. We're in relationship, and God is supplying. Now. What is it in our life that we need to trust God for? Who is it in our life we need to trust God for? And maybe we need to show the Lord that we're willing to give up more in order to get more of him. His supply is endless. His exceeding abundance in Christ for us is even greater than what Abraham had. So he's our supplier. Jesus being revealed in Psalm 23 is our supplier here. When you go to Psalm 22, you have the Psalm of the Cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In verse 1. 
Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring, Psalm 22, verse 1. Jesus cries this from the cross. You know, and you can read right down through that and you'll see pictures of the cross through Psalm 22. You see what he is like in, the, in agony, nailed hand and foot. Verse 14, he says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. Give us an idea through the spirit of prophecy because the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. It's testifying of Christ. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. We think of, I thirst, he says on the cross. He hears the fountain of living waters. He says, now I thirst. And then he says, I was brought me into the dust of death. Notice dogs have compassed me. That's the Roman soldiers around the cross. Gentile dogs, as they were thought of, or as they're described anyhow. He says, dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked were the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. We know all that happened around the cross. See the spirit of prophecy moving here? Now, so the, the Psalm 22 is the Psalm of the cross. Psalm 23 is the Psalm of the crook. The shepherd's crook. And Psalm 24, look at it, is the Psalm of the crown. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. He hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in the holy place? This holy place. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord, the righteousness from the God of his salvation. Now we need to stop in this. I'm bringing you somewhere with this. Because in this again is prophesying of the coming of Christ who is the creator God. Coming in flesh, dying on the cross and ascending into glory. Coming again with a kingdom. And he's saying, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in the holy place? Now you and I were singing, lift up your hands in the holy place. And that's, that's okay because we're, where the spirit of the Lord is, it's holy. And in the sense that's okay, but really when we're talking here, we're talking in, in a sense where who shall ascend up to the Father? Who really has clean hands and a pure heart? Now you and I positionally in Christ are clean and pure and righteous, but practically and in reality, we're still in our flesh and we fail all the time. So Christ alone is the one with clean hands and pure hearts. So we have the ascension and the glorification of Christ into the glory. The pray for us is our great high priest to be seated at the right hand of his Father. Can you see that? And there's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, clean my hands and make them into your holy place because Christ hath consecrated a new and living way for us. The book of Hebrews tells us through his blood that was shed. But here the psalmist is showing us Christ. He's showing us Jesus. And of course, then, if you go to verse 8, who is 
this King of glory, the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift up, lift them up, ye everlasting doors, that the King of glory shall come on. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. So you have the Psalm of the Cross, 22, the Crook, 23, and the Crown, 24. Now, when we go back to Psalm 23, we have the God of relationship. But we also see the life of Christ through this. He is the shepherd of the sheep. And we see him now as our substitutionary offering as a sheep, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. But also now we see him in our, as our great supply. So when we're in relationship, all these things will fall into place. Look at verse 2. He maketh me. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. You know the wonderful thing about this? The words, he maketh me. In Revelation it says, unto him who hath loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. It says, washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto our God. Revelation chapter one. He makes us kings and priests, but he also makes us in our lifestyle as our shepherd. He knows when to slow us down when we are going too much. He knows when to say, okay, son, okay, daughter, enough's enough. You need rest. And it's like, come ye apart and rest away. Sam Workman, the, the, everyone knows him as the evangelist around Northern Ireland here in Ulster. Obviously, he's, he's passed away a few years back. But he was once stopped and asked, he says about a holiday and he goes on his holidays or whatever and, and someone says to him, I don't believe the servants of the Lord should take a holiday. And he says, well, the Lord says, come here apart and rest a while. He says, so I'm coming apart before I come apart. <laughs> and you know, sometimes we need to come apart before we come apart. All of us. To gather strength and to rest. Coming apart before you come apart. And coming apart doesn't necessarily mean uh, that's just hiding. You know, and yes, do nothing. But sit in his presence and learn of him. And so here he maketh me to lie down. Love it. He makes us in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Now, if you go to Judges 6, Judges chapter 6, now Gideon, this man who's carrying and the Amalekites and are everywhere, he's afraid and he's sort of hiding and the angel of the Lord comes and visits him calls him a mighty man of valor and this man's shaking. <laughs> and who, how many of us know that God uses those who are at their lowest and weakest ebb, the weak things and the foolish things, and those who feel they can't? Because you, God comes to people like that. You know why? He doesn't come to the proud. He doesn't come to those who feel that they can do everything. You know why? He comes to those other people. People like you and people like me. Because then he receives the glory for you. No, it's definitely not you, Donald. 
and he, he will share his glory with no man. And you'll realize I've done that in his strength and only by his strength. He comes to Gideon. Gideon's hiding, threshing wheat behind the wine vat. And notice what it says here. Um, Genesis, or Judges 6 and verse 23, just for time's sake, please. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. You'd think you were going to die if you'd seen the angel of the Lord, wouldn't you? And Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day is it yet an opfra of the Abiah's rites. Here Jehovah Shalom is Jehovah my peace. Shalom is different than what you and I think of as peace. Shalom is peace. It's peace. It can be health, peace and strength. It's peace of mind. It's peace of heart. But it's also having peace where there is no peace. It's having peace when there's trouble all around you. A settled contentment in Christ is shalom. So shalom's bigger than just, you and I think, well, you know, give him a headpiece. You know, gives me a bit of spray than root. It's more than that. I mean, he's speaking over him here, strength and healing. He's, he's speaking fear gone, all of this sort of stuff. And now Gideon's having to really think about this and say, I need to start moving on what he's speaking over me here and into me. And when we think of it, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace give I unto you. Not as the word giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So the peace that Christ gives when there's trouble and turmoil in all of the world, that something inside you says, I'm with you. It's okay. I've got you. Rest in me. Even in times of sickness, times of hurt, whatever it may be. So here is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is my peace. And then he says, he leadeth me beside still waters. There's your refreshment in him. Refreshment. Back to the psalm. You know, there's a, you, you can minister a night in every, each one of these easily. Easily. But we're just doing a, a an overview of them. Psalm 23, verse 3. He restoreth my soul. That's healing. Healing. That's Jehovah Rapha. The Lord my healer. He restoreth my soul. The Lord my healer. If you'll go to Exodus 15. Exodus 15. And if you just let your eye <clears throat> run down again to verse 23. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree which he had cast into the waters. The waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, 
And there he proved them. And he said, and said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. And they came to Elam, where twelve wells of water and three score and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. So he says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. He heals the waters from their bitterness. And he says, I'll keep you. In fact, I am the Lord that healeth thee. It means I am the Lord who will keep you in health if you walk according to my statutes, my commandments, my ways, you see. I'm keeping you in health. By the way, there are a little mention of Elam there. Of course, this is where the movement got its name from. But notice there's just in passing... And they came to Elam where 12 wells of water, three score and 10 palm trees. It's a little strange that when Israel or or, um, Jacob, as it were, and his sons go into Egypt, we're told there's 70 souls go in. There's 70 palm trees here. And when they come out, there's 12 tribes worth and there's 12 wells of water. See, I believe everything's here for a purpose. So God knew who was going in and he knew how many were coming out. (laughs) And he says, I'll make the provision for you. I'll make the provision for you. So here he is. He's at, um, they're at Elam, but he says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. That is Jehovah Rapha. Do you know, see the word healeth, by the way. The word healeth um, in in the Old Testament it's actually, it goes into certain other words as well. The, the Hebrew word, I mean, it means more than healeth. So there's other words we can't go into it as a study tonight. But for five of the times, five times in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for healeth, um, it means physician. Physician. So what the Lord is actually saying is, I am your physician. I'm your great physician I am your doctor I am your surgeon I'm the one that heals you so five times it means physician notice what Psalm 23 and verse 3 says he leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake here paths of righteousness the word here would be Jehovah Tzikenu. Tzikenu. And it means the Lord my righteousness. Jeremiah 33 and verse 16. You see, you can see Jesus right through this, can't you? You see him from start. He's in everything. He's everywhere. Jeremiah 33, please. And tell you what, let your eye on down to verse 14. Let's go to there. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised unto the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, 
will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith she shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Sakanyu. Now notice what he says here, that he would perform that. There would be a branch of righteousness would grow up unto David. What does that mean? The branch of righteousness that grew unto David was the Lord Jesus Christ who came from the lineage and line of the house of David. Okay, so this branch comes out of King David's line, who is Christ himself. And the, the, the good thing he performs for the house of Israel and the house of Judah is when he dies on the cross. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. <clears throat> Turn to the book of Hebrews. Um, let's go to Hebrews. This is mentioned a couple of times. Let's go to Hebrews 10. Okay, Hebrews 10. Just let me get it. Tell you what, go to Hebrews 9. What do Hebrews? Sorry, 8. Hebrews 8. It's mentioned twice. I just couldn't find it in Hebrews 10 there for some reason. Notice Hebrews 8. Let your eye run down. <clears throat> and he's speaking of Christ here. Verse 7, he says, For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, that is, with Israel, he saith, Behold, the day is come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law into their minds and write them in their hearts, and I will be unto them a God, and they shall be unto me a people. So here we're talking about the new covenant of Christ and the cross. Go to Jeremiah then, back to Jeremiah 33. Go to Jeremiah 30, it won't be easier. Save us reading us some of these things twice. I'm trying to do this off the top of my head at the moment, so bear with me for a second. <clears throat> okay, let's go to Jeremiah 31. I've already read 33, okay? And uh, let your eye run down to verse 31. Behold, the day has come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which covenant they break, although I was an husband, notice that, I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. And this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. This is what is been repeated in the book of Hebrews talking about Christ's death on the cross, burial and resurrection, okay? So here we have again the Lord our righteousness. Now how are you and I righteous? Because Christ has died for us. His law is written in our hearts. His spirit lives within us. We took his righteousness, he took our sin on the cross, so he is the Lord our righteousness. Jesus our righteousness, okay? So back to Psalm 23, please. 
Psalm 23. He restoreth my soul, he leadeth me in paths of righteousness. Notice, for his name's sake. For his name's sake. Now notice, that's purpose. So he leads you for purpose, in purpose, on purpose. Do you remember um, in the book of Ruth where she follows Naomi back into the land of Israel and Boaz owns the field and she's gleaning at the poor, the corners of the field were left for the poor when they cut them, you see. So she's gleaning what she can with the rest of the poor and gathering the scraps or whatever she can get from the corners of the field. And Boaz uh, uh, notices her. Boaz, by the way, is in the lineage of Christ too. And Boaz's name means one in whom is strength. Again, a picture of Christ. And she's gleaning off the, the corners of the field. And as she's gleaning, he sees her and he tells his servants, drop handfuls of purpose for her. So he tells, he tells them, so these men are coming and walking by, by Ruth and they're throwing out, <laughs> throwing all this stuff out there. And she's just picking it up. She's not realizing this is all here and I'm, I'm, I'm coming into abundance. But what was happening was they were, she was being drawn and led into a purpose to meet Boaz. He redeems her as a kinsman redeemer, as a close relative, in other words, and marries her. And it's the like of you and I with Christ. You see, there's a type of you and I with Christ again. And so we are in righteousness for his name's sake. We have purpose. That's purpose. And so every day in righteousness leading us, he will guidance and now purpose. So you have a purpose in God. You have a purpose in Christ. And so whenever we look at this, you see Jesus now, our great Boaz. In fact, one of the, one of the main stay pillars in the Solomon's temple was called, one was called Boaz and one was called Jachin. And, and they're mentioned in the book of Revelation too. The Lord says, I will make you as a pillar in the temple. But it's the spiritual temple who we are, whom the Holy Ghost lives in. And anyway, let's move on quickly. Yea, though I walk through the valley the shadow of death that's testing I will fear no evil that's protection and insurance for thou art with me that's faithfulness thy rod and thy staff they comfort me that's discipline we must come under discipline of the word turn to Ezekiel 48 Ezekiel 48 and if you haven't had your pen with you to mark them down, you can always get a CD or you can download it online if you want to find them again. Ezekiel 48, and notice this, and let your eye run down to, let's just go to verse, just go to the last verse. This is the last verse of the book of Ezekiel, by the way. Verse 35. It was round about 18,000 measures and the name of the city from that day shall be, the Lord is there. The Lord is there. Okay. Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is with me. The Lord is there. And when you're reading in Ezekiel, I, I, I would have to do a study on it. It's a really difficult one, to be honest. But really, this talks about the kingdom come. 
The city of Jerusalem is made up of redeemed saints of God. And the Lord is in the midst of us. The Lord is there. He is with us. So the psalmist says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. Now look at the language and watch the way he says this. First of all, he's talking to the crowd, okay? He's talking, he's preaching to you and I. And he's speaking of himself. So I'll do it as if it's me doing it. And watch the language. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I watch. He starts to talk to God, for thou art with me. See the way he comes from, uh, from horizontal to vertical. He comes from an earthly realm into a heavenlies. The Holy Ghost is bringing us to you. We look around and say, look, I know God's with me and God's going to do wonders. But suddenly that real, uh, uh, that real consciousness of his spirit, you're with me. The Lord is there. See the upward climb in it for our faith. The upward reach of faith. Now here's something I want you to look at. When we say, well, Jesus is with us, the Lord Jesus experienced everything that you and I would experience, even death that we haven't experienced. But there's also a type here. Turn to John's Gospel, chapter 18. John's Gospel, chapter 18. It may be more than a mere type, but it may actually be... um, it may actually be just a direct prophetic word that's been covered. John 18 verse 1 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kedron or Sedron here, Kedron in the Old Testament, where was a garden unto the which he entered and his disciples. Now, if you go to you can write these down because we have time to go to them all. If you go to Matthew 26, you'll read of him in the upper room, breaking bread, instituting the Lord's Supper, as we would call it, the Passover Supper. Um, Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22. And now we're coming into here where he's now speaking and he's leaving in John 18. And John says, he went forth over the brook Cedron or Kidron to the garden. The garden is Gethsemane. Now the brook Kidron runs through the valley of Kidron on the east side of Jerusalem. So when he, in, in Matthew 26, in the upper room we're told, and when he had sung in him, they went out. It says it again in Mark 14 when they had sung in him. And it was the great hallel, the hallelujah of God. Hallelujah simply means praise God, praise Yah. Hallel is the praise of Yah. Hallelujah, praising Yah. And so the great hallel, it was, is reckoned to be Psalm 113 around Psalm 118. 
So Jesus is singing this with his disciples. He's the worship leader here. And he's telling them, I'm going to praise my father. What's going to happen? He's going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. He walks out after singing it and down the valley, right into the bottom of the valley, across the brook kid on and back up and into the garden. So now he's looking. He knows he's going to the cross. He knows he's going to die. So the Kidmon Valley is between where Jesus left and broke bread and Gethsemane, the garden that we read of in John 18 and 1. So Jesus had to come in to the valley. It's believed that Samson is buried here. Many believe Samuel was buried here, the prophet Samuel. And James was buried there too. So you also have Samson, the judge. You have a prophet there. And also in that, then you have an apostle. And Christ fulfills every one of those offices. He's going to judge the world at his return. God has appointed a time when he will judge all men by that man. He is also the prophet of God. He comes as prophet. And he, is, he fulfills that office. And also, he, he is the apostle, uh, a great apostle and great high priest of our faith. So he's passing through that which even men of great faith, if we can call it that, couldn't pass through. He's passing through the Kidron Valley. And he passed through, and it's called, known as the place of suffering, to Gethsemane. Now, when you go to John, Matthew 6, 26, pardon me, it talks about Jesus in Gethsemane falls to the ground. Mark talks about him falling to the ground. John doesn't really mention anything of it. But Luke, being a doctor, notices more. And he mentions Jesus falling to the ground, sweating, as it were, like great drops of blood falling to the ground. But he also mentions an angel comes and ministers unto him. Shows the humanity of Christ. Beautiful. That even an angel comes. And you can imagine, if I can use it in, in this term, that even in glory with the angels in glory sitting watching, the Prince of Glory, going through this. Just let me go down once and help him. Myriads and myriads, 72,000 angels he could have called. And one angel was greatly blessed. He was dispatched to go and help the beautiful Son of God. Master, my God, let me help you. So Jesus, when he's saying, through the spirit of prophecies, the testimony of Jesus, can you see him now going to Gethsemane to be arrested? Yeah, either way, walk through the valley, down the Kidron of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Father, for thou art with me. So you can see Christ in this, can't you? Jesus is revealed right through these. I'm going to close here. Maybe have to do one more night at this. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The Lord is there. The Lord is there and will be there for every blood-washed believer. 
matter where. He's here now. He's in you. He's with you. He's for you. He's not against you. He loves you. And no matter what valley you're traversing, whether it's dark, uh, there's over seven maybe yet valleys mentioned. I'm going to bring a, I'll bring a study on all the valleys sometime. Different things in the valleys. But he knows what it's like to walk through a valley. The valley of the shadow of death. And the, the word for, sh- for shadow there, it, it actually can change where, you know, uh, where a man shall be in hiding place as, shadow, as a shadow of a great rock on a weary land. That's Christ being the shadow for you and I in our times of trouble. But this is a different shadow. So it's a shadow for good. When you're in a desert, it's good to have a shadow. You can cool down in and rest under. But this shadow in the valley of the shadow of death, it's a looming shadow. It's a, it's a shadow of an enemy. Death is an enemy. But when he went to the tomb, he went to the cross, he went to the tomb, that shadow no longer will hold you and I. Because he showed the shadow. He says, I am victorious over you. I've went right through so they can follow and I'll be with them. Bless his word to us. In his name. Amen. God bless everyone. God bless.